Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. Last night, I got back from the store and um, I had bought cat litter. We were out of cat litter. And I was carrying the cat litter in, and Carrie looked at me, and she said, you know we have cat litter just in the other room. I said, no, we don't. And she said, yeah, we do. It's, that, it's the kind you get. It's the, there's a big old bag of it. I said, no, I used that already. And I turned around, and wouldn't you know it, there's a bag of cat litter there. I just walked right past it, didn't see it. But just so you know that it's not just a guy thing, the other day we had some medication go missing. And that's kind of a scary thing in your home if medication goes missing. And Carrie said, it's not in the cabinet where it's supposed to be. I said, I, I, we looked all through it. She said, I know. I got up last night. I, went to the, I, took, I took one of those last night. I got up and went to the fridge. I got a bottle of water, and she opened up, and there was the medication in the refrigerator. It can happen to anybody. I told that story in the first hour, and Bill uh, Temple, he, said, he came up and he said, Dale, I'm an engineer. I put everything in the right place. Everything goes back in the same spot. And sometimes I just look and look and look, and I can't see it. And Vicky goes, it's right there, and it'll be like one inch over from where I'm looking. Hey, uh, let me ask this question. Has anybody ever had that happen to them where they just are looking at something, and they, they didn't see it? It's right there in front of them. Oh, let me ask it a different way. Has that ever happened to your spouse? Oh, okay, okay. Happens to your spouse. Today in the passage of Scripture we're going to look at, I think Jesus is calling us to look closer. To look at, it, uh, look at this uh, narrative in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, in a way that we haven't seen before. Uh, maybe we've looked at it before, but now he wants us to see something more clearly. In the Gospel of Luke, uh, one commentator described Jesus as either coming from a meal or going to a meal or at a meal. A food, a theme is heavy in the Gospel of Luke because Jesus knows when he sits at a table with somebody and he breaks bread with somebody, when he eats with somebody, it breaks down barriers and builds relationships. And in this meal that we're going to find with Jesus today, Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 36, we're going to find Jesus calling us to look closer. Look closer. See things that you've never seen before. Here is uh, the narrative that describes this dinner party Jesus is at. I'm going to walk us through it. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. This is a kind of a big deal. In Luke chapter 5, we read that Jesus was at a meal with tax collectors and sinners. Now he's at a meal with a Pharisee who's supposed to be one of the good people. Uh, and, and Simon probably was morally right a lot of the time. He had rules that he followed, and he even made up rules so he could keep himself from breaking the rules that he wanted to keep. And he probably kept them pretty well. People in the community looked up to Simon. And Jesus was reclining at his table. I know last week I kind of explained what this might look like, but I'll do it again if you need me to. When they recline at a table and we read that, uh, Luke is describing what uh, Greek and Roman cultures probably called a symposium dinner. And so they would uh, lay down on the floor, on, on a couch, on some pillows, and the table would be in front of them, and they would kind of lean on one arm, and they would eat as they had discussion. Their feet would be far away from the table, uh, kind of like this, and they would all sit around this uh, kind of a U-shaped area, and they would probably eat pretty close to each other. And when they did this, this symposium-style meal, they would stay for hours 
And they would discuss, and they would have a guest of honor, and they would want to hear that discussion. And they would talk. And if you ate with somebody in that fashion, you were telling them, I'm with you. I want to be your friend. I want you to be my friend. And uh, what we don't, we don't quite understand about this is uh, we, we can if we picture it a little bit differently. But the people who were not invited to the meal, they could come and watch, and they could listen. And a lot of times, they, uh, people would show up. Sometimes it would be an open kind of courtyard. They'd be having this symposium-style meal, and people would show up and watch and listen. And here Jesus is reclining, literally laying down. And you think about it, you're going to be there for hours. That's not maybe a bad way to eat if you get to adjust every once in a while, but that's where Jesus is. That's verse 36. It, you'll also notice that between verse 36 and 39, Luke is going to mention this is a Pharisee four times. He wants us to see what this person and what this person's lifestyle is like. So he mentions it four times. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Verse 37, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. I like Luke's, I like how he phrases this. He doesn't tell us this woman's name, and he doesn't tell us her sin, but he does kind of give a euphemism. He's kind of like describing her as a lady of the night. She was a sinner from the city. Everybody knew she was a sinner. Everybody knew what trade she was involved in to be a sinner. And she comes in, and she's one of the people who are not invited to the table dinner, but she's probably not welcome to come and stand and watch too. But she comes anyway, and she stands. Remember, Jesus' feet is away from the table, their feet are away from the table, and she's standing at his feet, and she's sobbing. Now, I don't know if you've ever had an opportunity to cry so hard that tears puddle at your feet, but she's standing at Jesus' feet, tears flowing so much that they begin to puddle on his feet. This is pretty incredible. She is breaking a ton of social norms, cultural norms that she's not allowed to break. One, she's not supposed to be there because she's a woman of the night. They all know what kind of woman she is. They, she's not invited. Two, it says her hair is down. In the Talmud, or what the Jews would have considered the Talmud, these are the rules that they keep to keep them from breaking the rules. One of the rules was you were not, if you were a woman, you were not allowed to let your hair down unless in front of your husband, only in front of your husband. This is a real sign of intimacy. And have your hair down in public, this was a huge faux pas. This was only what terrible people would do. I mean, this woman is breaking all the norms. And then she does this thing. I mean, if you were at the dinner table and you knew what she was like, and she was being this familiar with Jesus, you might start contemplating, why is he allowing her to be that familiar with him? She is literally hugging and kissing his feet. This is totally out of the norm. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man was a prophet, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. I like how I think it's irony that Simon 
I think I'm using that word right. Simon didn't think Jesus was a prophet, and he was thinking that, and then Jesus answered his thoughts, proving he was a prophet. I just love that little scene. Uh, I heard one preacher say it was kind of like Jesus flexing just a little bit, showing who he was. He says, yeah, let me tell you something. And Simon says, tell me, teacher. Two people, here's a story Jesus told. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii. Uh, for us, I think that's usually like two years' wages. Think about that. 500 denarii, and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman. The way the Greek is written, she hasn't stopped sobbing. She hasn't stopped wiping his feet. She hasn't stopped kissing his feet. This is still going on. She's poured perfume, and she's still crying. She's still wiping. She's still kissing. Jesus has not stopped this from happening. My imagination is going crazy. What's going on at this dinner party? It's like I can just imagine the movie scene. Everybody's around the table. They're all lying there. They're eating. They're enjoying each other's conversation, and the woman walks in. Now, that might be enough to start the conversation to start to go down a little bit, maybe get a little quieter. Some of them are looking. Some of them are ignoring. They keep talking. But she is sobbing and wiping his feet and throwing herself on his feet, literally. And by this time, I think everybody's quiet. And Jesus then speaks speaks to their thoughts, tells a story, and then he turns and he looks at her. This is so beautiful. And he said to Simon, do you see this woman? And he's not, he's not asking, have you seen her come in? They've all seen her come in. And he's not asking, do you know what she's like? Because they all know what she's like. He's telling Simon to look a little closer, reevaluate what he's seeing here. I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. She wasn't kissing his feet to receive forgiveness. She had received forgiveness and she couldn't help but have this extraordinary expression of love. We don't know where that happened. Luke kind of starts this story open-ended. We don't know when Jesus encountered this woman before, but he encountered and it was such an encounter that when he offered her forgiveness, it changed her whole world, changed her whole identity. And now she can't stop crying because of the grace she has received. And she can't stop showing love to Jesus because of her new identity that he gave her. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But who has, whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. I love that assurance Jesus gives her. He'd already forgiven her. She was already living in that new forgiven identity, but he assures her again, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I think as we're looking at this passage of Scripture and Jesus calls Simon, look a little closer, I think he's telling us, look closer Look closer at this woman, look closer at Simon, look closer at ourselves. 
Look a little closer. Reevaluate what you already think you know. For this woman, he says, Simon, look a little closer. And this woman who is pouring out this extraordinary expression of love, she is no longer, Jesus is trying to tell Simon, he's trying to get him to see, she's no longer defined by the sin she used to participate in. She's no longer defined by her old lifestyle. She's no longer defined by who she was, but she's now defined by who he says she is. I love this beautiful Jesus who can give us this new identity in Christ that changes everything about us that makes us a new person. He gives us six ways where our identity is changed. Number one, Jesus, when we are in Jesus, he gives us a new identity, we are now in Jesus, we're in Christ. In in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, all that are in Christ shall be made alive in Christ. We used to be dead in Adam and with Adam, but now we're alive in Christ. We're in Christ, it's a new identity. We are justified. Romans 8 verse 1 says, there is now no condemnation for those in Jesus, for those in Christ. This is really important for me to remember. Sometimes I'll have moments of silence, I'll have moments of contemplation, and for some reason, I don't know what it is, I think I do, for some reason, either subconsciously, something will come into my mind of an embarrassing thing that I have done before, or Satan whispering in my ear, remember that time when you really messed up? And I counteract that. I get to counteract that with the identity Jesus has given me. There is no condemnation. God does not condemn me for that act because I'm in Jesus. Everybody knew what that woman did. And Jesus was letting her know she's no longer condemned. God doesn't condemn her for that. She's been forgiven. This is huge. This is an extraordinary way to live. And now she is embracing it, and she can't help but show love for the grace that she has received. I'm in Christ, I'm justified, I'm adopted. For those who believe in Jesus, God gave a right to become children of God, John chapter one. She's secure. I love the reassurance he gives her in Luke chapter seven, verse 48. We just read it. He turns to her. He says, look at what she's doing. Look closer, Simon. She's pouring out love because she's already been forgiven. And then he assures her. He reminds her, you are forgiven. Don't we need to hear that sometimes? You know, when we come into the church setting and we are around other Christians, when we go to our small groups and we're around other Christians, when we, when we hear sermons, when we hear Sunday school lessons, when we're just having conversations, we need to reassure each other of our position in Christ, made secure not by what we do and what we have done, but what Christ has done for us. And we need to be reminded, you're forgiven in Jesus. Jesus reminded the woman of that. She lives in that new identity. She can't help but cry about it. It's blowing her mind. It's amazing her. She is in a new family. Jesus said she's now accepted, united in Christ, justified, adopted, secure, and free. I like how Romans chapter 5 says it. I want to read it so I don't mess up. Romans chapter 5, excuse me, Romans chapter 6, verse 5. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. No longer a slave to the sin she had participated in. Scripture is so clear that when we come into Christ, he gives us freedom. 
Luke is all about Jesus setting the captives free. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus' goal was for that woman to have a new identity in him. She's set free. And she's unfinished. This is all of us. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says, Being confident of this, that he who began a work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Her position before God was justified, no longer guilty, now in the family of God. And she was continuing to work out her salvation. She was continuing to grow in Christ. The scripture tells us that when we see Jesus face to face, we'll be changed to be like him in an instant. But in the meantime, while we're here, while we're waiting for him to return, we press on toward the goal of becoming more and more like Jesus. That is God's plan for us. Romans 8, 28, a lot of people use this verse, but they forget to finish it. Romans 8, 28, somebody help me out for it. Anybody remember? Somebody shout it out. We know that all things work for, thanks for the reminder, we know that all things work for the good of those who believe in Christ, who have been called according to his purpose. Finish it out. The purpose is to be transformed into the character and nature of Jesus Christ. God is working all things for our good according to his purpose, but the all good and purpose is to be transformed to Jesus. It's not to have your bills paid. It's not to have no uh, problems with your health. It's not to have uh, no suffering. It's the purpose of God for us is to be transformed to Jesus. And he will use everything that he allows that you interact with in this life to transform your character to be like Christ. Your thinking and your mission to become more and more and more like Jesus. This woman has experienced this extraordinary grace, this extraordinary forgiveness, and now she gives an extraordinary expression of love. And Jesus turns and looks at her and he says, Simon, you need to look closer at this. You don't understand. Here's Simon. I think Jesus wants Simon to look more closely at his life, looking at the transformation this woman has gone through. Simon is a good person. We would think he was pretty good. We would not be able to see, just by looking at his life, anywhere where he has had a sin or any kind of big sin that overwhelms his life. But Simon doesn't understand when he is going to stand before the judge, God is not going to weigh his good deeds versus his bad deeds. That's not how judgment works. A good judge is not going to have your good deeds, if there's a lot of them, not receive punishment for your bad deeds. If you were to come kill my grandma, and then you go before Judge Ruddick in town, and he says, well, let's look at your life. Well, you have done a lot of good things. So murdering, we're just gonna let that one slide. No, we actually get paid punishment for the sins that we deserve. We need to pay the penalty for the sin we're under. And so when God appears, when we before, appear before God, we're not gonna be judged and weighed good deeds versus bad deeds. God's not gonna put that on a balance scale. What he's gonna judge you on is whether you are in or out whether you have been saved by the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross or whether you're still in sin, whether in Christ with a new identity as adopted into the family of God, justified, set free, he's gonna judge whether you are in Jesus or not in Jesus. This is the good judgment that God is gonna bring. Simon was thinking he had a lot of good deeds and he did a lot of good things, so he must be in with God forgetting 
that his good deeds don't outweigh his bad. My daughter and I had this conversation in the car the other day. She's 15. She asks good questions. She is uh, making sure she searches and under, understands everything. And she doesn't always like things that she understands completely. And she said, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem fair. It's not right. I'm, I'm paraphrasing some of the words she used. To, for God to send somebody to hell for one sin. That doesn't make sense. And in a way, I kind of understand what she's saying. If somebody just tells one little white lie, why would God punish that person for an eternity in hell? It seems like the punishment far outweighs the sin. Well, it, that's a good question. A lot of people ask that question, and it reveals a significant under misunderstanding of the holiness of God. God is perfect, holy, set apart, and all-consuming fire. And if imperfection comes into his presence, his all-consuming fire destroys it. He will not allow imperfection into his presence. He's that holy. Simon had forgotten that it's only God who is good. The expression, there's no one perfect, I'm only human, that's a real thing. That's a real expression. There's a reason why we say that. There's no one perfect. And the scripture goes on a little further and says there's actually no one good but God. And for Simon to have forgotten that means he didn't understand the holiness and the all-consuming fire of the Lord. But the question also lacks integrity. There's no person that has only ever done one thing wrong. There's no one who has ever only done one little white lie. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus says to Simon, you need to look a little closer. Simon, who followed the rules and then even made up rules about the rules he was supposed to follow so he wouldn't break those rules, couldn't live, even live up to his own standards. Look at, look at how this works. The lady shows up, she's got her hair down, and he says, aha, she is breaking a social, cultural norm. She is unclean. Look at her not living up to the standards I've set. And yet a host is supposed to welcome someone at the door to their home and give them water for their feet. They've been walking around in the desert, in the dust and the sand and everything else that's out there. So a good host, cultural norms, when a person arrives at their home, is supposed to offer water for their feet or a servant to wash their feet. And Simon didn't do that. A good host is supposed to welcome somebody with a kiss. That's a cultural norm. If you don't do that, you're breaking a cultural norm. It's a social faux pas. Simon didn't do that. You're supposed to offer a guest in your home a little bit of refreshment, just a little bit of olive oil to put in their hair or on their body. It takes away a little bit of the stink of the road, and it just feels cool. If you've ever had something put through your hair or on your body and it has an oil, any slight breeze that goes by, you immediately feel the chill effect of that. Sometimes I secretly sneak some of my wife's hair oil and I put it in my beard. Oh, it feels so good. And I walk outside, a little bit of breeze, instantly cool. Kind of makes me smell flowery. Anyway, Simon didn't do that. He didn't do any of the social norms. He had broken even the rules he set for himself. Does that seem like a good person? Maybe he was doing it to slight Jesus. But then this woman comes in and he shuns her. He looks at her and only sees 
the sins she's committed. He's reduced her down to her worst moment. Does that seem like a good person would do that? If you look at me and you only ever reduce me down to the worst moments you've ever caught me in, we are probably not going to have a good relationship because you're going to constantly be looking down at me. I'm going to constantly feel belittled by you. And you're going to be wrong about knowing more of me than just what I've done wrong. Simon needs to look a little closer at his own life. He can't live up to the standards he sets for others. He has not been perfect in keeping the laws of God, even though he's pretty good at them. He has sin on him, and Jesus says, you need to look closer. I think we need to look closer, too. We need to look closer at our own lives. We need to look and see where is it that we are holding other people in contempt because they're not living up to the standards we've set and recognize that we can't even live up to the standards we set. There's a reason why the cross of Christ humbles all of us. There's a reason why there's an expression, all the ground at the foot of the cross is level. There's no one too good that doesn't need Jesus, and there's no one too bad that Jesus won't welcome into the family. Some of you might say, but my sin is too great. What I've done is too big. And nothing, no sin is greater than the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. No sin is greater than the blood that was shed for you. No sin is greater than the love that Jesus will give you, the grace that he will pour over you. I had a picture one time in my mind of what this grace would be like. We were at a prayer time. We were supposed to ask God to give us a sign. I don't know if it was a sign from God or an imagination, but I love the picture he gave me. I had this dream where I was coming up to Jesus and I need more grace. I keep messing up. And there was a container like one of those uh, water spigots and it had grace in it. And I kept getting a cup of grace and I kept drinking it down and then I was out of grace again. And Jesus was looking at me like, Dale, you're so stupid. I think Jesus looks at me a lot of times like that. But he's looking at me in, my, in, my, in this imagination that I'm having of him. And he's saying, Dale, you're so stupid. And I can't understand why he's, he's saying I'm so stupid. So I keep going back to the grace. See, I'm getting grace because the scripture says he gives grace upon grace upon grace. And I keep messing up. And I keep needing more grace. And I keep running back. I'm out of grace again. And I'm looking at Jesus. And he's looking at, uh, he's just tisking at me. And I can't understand why I'm, I think I'm doing the right thing. And I turn around and there's an ocean of grace that I'm not experiencing. An ocean of grace I can dive in and be covered over with grace. Jesus wants me to experience grace not a trickle, grace, an ocean of grace. But we have to examine our lives and we have to be willing to admit that we're just as bad as the worst sinner we know to experience that grace. Jesus only came to call sinners to repentance, not the righteous. Paul in 1 Timothy, he says these words, this is kind of incredible that he would say this, Paul, who uh, is called the Apostle Paul, um, he, God allowed him through the power of the Holy Spirit to write at least 13 out of 27 New Testament books. He says in 1 Timothy, he writes this to one of his disciples, Timothy, he says, this is a trustworthy saying. So I think Paul is trying to say, Timothy, you need to memorize this. I think this is something we need to memorize. Timothy, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. 
Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. That's the memory verse we're supposed to take away from that letter. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. Why would that be a trustworthy saying for us? This shows us the kind of attitude we're supposed to have as we approach Christ. This shows us the attitude the woman had when she received forgiveness, and it shows the opposite of the attitude of Simon the Pharisee. Here's how it works. Paul, if I were to meet him, knows nothing about me, but he knows all of his sins. As we talk, he might be able to discern where I have too much pride, where I have lied in my life, and so he might be able to write down in his notebook, if he's doing an investigation, ah, you do have a sin, but he doesn't know me. He doesn't know my list of sins, but you know whose sins he does know? His self. And he can contemplate and look back over his entire life, and he can list sin after sin after sin after sin, and so he becomes the worst sinner he knows. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. If you were to evaluate your sin and my sin, you're going to know a lot more sins about you than you know about me. You're the worst sinner you know. This is the type of attitude that we have as we go to Jesus and we say, Help me, give me grace. He says there's an ocean of grace that's gonna cover over every sin you've ever done. There's no sin too big that I can't cover over and you can be accepted and set free and justified and a part of the family of God. And look at the beauty of Jesus, the love of Jesus. Would you look closer at Jesus? He wants this woman that nobody else wants to be part of his family. He wants this woman that nobody else wants to be set free from sin and have a new identity with him, with him. And you know, he is using her transformed life because he wants Simon to. He just needs Simon to look a little closer. How about you? Where are you in your relationship with Christ? Because you're either in with Jesus or you're out with Jesus. And it doesn't matter how many good deeds you've done. It only matters if you have turned to him, repented of your sin, and given it over to him so he can give you forgiveness in his name and by the power of his sacrifice. It's the only test we have to to face when we get to judgment. And then we need to go and share that same love with others with extraordinary expressions of love. Anytime we get an opportunity We get to love on people. We get to love on people in our congregation. We get to love on people outside of our congregation. Remembering, remembering, remembering that we have been covered over by grace. Remembering that we're the worst sinner we know. So when we bump into somebody that's a woman of the street or a man of the street or a drug addict or an alcoholic or somebody we don't even know but they don't look right, we remember Jesus wants them too. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. If you could imagine yourself separated from God by sin, which Scripture says we are separated from God by sin. Just one sin allows us not to be perfect and to move into where He is perfect. If you can imagine this separation And it says in this passage of Scripture, it helps us understand that the wages of sin is death. 
If you do a job, you expect to get paid for it. If you do a good job, you expect to be paid a lot for it. Well, Scripture says we get paid a punishment, a debt for the debts we owe God, for the sins that we have committed. And that payment is death. Scripture says everyone has sinned, which we talked a little bit about that. Everyone will be paid with death. Now, this could be a physical death or spiritual death. But think about Simon again, how he was shunning that woman, how he was not moving to help her, how he was not trying to provide her relief to get out of the situation she was in. You know, in those days, if a woman was selling herself, she might have been sold into that lifestyle by her parents who couldn't pay a debt. She might have been a person who had no one else to take care of her, so she had to go into that lifestyle, otherwise she would starve to death. Simon did not move to help her in any way except to shun her. See, the wages of sin is death, but that death is started already by how we treat people, how we destroy each other. But there is an eternal death that is coming for those of us who never find Christ. And it says in Hebrews that it is appointed once for man to die and then to be judged. So there is going to be a judgment here as well. And remember, God judges you on whether you're in or out, not by what you've good you've done or what bad you've done. He judges you on whether Jesus has paid your debt. And we all have a debt. We all owe a debt we cannot pay. But God so loved the world. You know, we try other things to do this. Simon was trying to follow all the rules, but even he couldn't live up to his rules. Some people try to do it with money. I made a terrible joke in the first hour about that only works if you're Catholic. The reason why that's terrible is because the Pope still sells indulgences. And so you can go pay some money to the Vatican, and they say, all your sins are forgiven for this amount of time. It doesn't work that way. It's scary to give somebody the false sense of security that they've been forgiven because they paid the right amount of money. That's a scary place to be. Some people try to do it with good deeds. Some people try to do it with money. Some people try to accumulate wealth or power or stuff. And all of that leaves you short of God. None of it gets you there. And there is an eternity of hell to pay for the debt that you owe that you can't pay. The wages of sin is death. But I love that word. The gift, it is by grace, through faith. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God sent Jesus Christ to pay our debt on the cross and Jesus either pays your debt now or you spend eternity in hell paying it. And it says in scripture, it's by grace through faith. If you believe in Jesus and he forgives your sins, you have access to God. It is by grace, through faith. Notice the prepositions the scripture uses. By grace, it's a gift. Through faith, it's, it's through belief. In baptism. Colossians says, in baptism, you've received the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the new, the new life. You've been raised to a new life for those who have having been buried in baptism. And we're saved for good works. Notice that prepositions, for good works. We're not saved because we did good works. We're saved to do good works. The lady wasn't worshiping Jesus' feet and pouring out the perfume to receive forgiveness. She was responding to the forgiveness she received. 
And this gives us access to God when we believe in Christ. And then our job is to go back and help people get to God. There are so many out there that think that they have done good and that they're good enough to get to heaven. And we got to help them look closer. We have family members and we have friends that are far from Jesus and they think they're right. And we have to show love to them and we have to show our transformed life and we have to have these extraordinary expressions of love so that they can see, they can see the difference in us and we become the miracle that helps lead people to have their eyes opened to the beauty of Jesus. We become the people that help lead them to faith. And we have to be constantly doing that because we obey Jesus to seek and save the lost. We imitate Jesus to seek and save the lost because of what he's done for us. I hope that you were able to look closer at scripture today and that you were able to look closer at your own life, maybe even the person across from you to recognize that Christ loves them and Christ loves you. Now we got a job to do, to go share that same love with others. We hope you have enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just want more information about our church, be sure to fill out a Connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining, and we will see you back here next time.